Hey everybody, it's Monday night. You know what that means? It's time for Disputed Lands. And I am so thankful once again to have, be joined by my guest who didn't know it before now is the guest I've had on the most overall now on Disputed Lands. He's making his third appearance, the first person I've ever had on three times in a little over a year. So I'm pretty happy the honor kind of goes to Doug. Uh, really, he's become a really good friend and he's just such a joy to be around that I, I couldn't think of a better person to be number three. It's such a, that's a significant number right there. Well, thank you. Yeah. So we're talking tonight again about his book, Rebooting the Bible, the astonishing story of a 19 year old. I like to year, say nearly 2000. I just like that. Nearly 2000 year old rabbinical conspiracy to corrupt the Bible's ancient history and thwart belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And that really is it in a nutshell. I am having a lot of fun reading this book and going through the notes. I've, right. I've gained so much. Uh, our other Doug, our, our, my other friend Doug uh, Krieger has already read it and done a review, which is no surprise to me. The man is a machine. Uh, I don't know how he does it, but we're going to pick up where we left off. But before we do that, I wanted to first let Doug have a chance to address two things. People didn't heed my warning, Doug, the first time this aired over on the Now You See TV channel. Okay. They did not heed the warnings to listen carefully. Mm -hmm. The first thing they said is that you don't believe that the King James is version of the of the scriptures is the Bible. Uh, no, no, that's, no, it's absolutely the Bible. Okay. Well, I mean, I just needed you to say that because people heard that and it, it, I don't know how they got that, but that's what they, it, it, it is in scripture or something that could be uh, trusted as a, as a, as a source of scripture. Clarify it like every other uh, version translation of, uh, of the Bible has its flaws. That is, Thank the, you. that was the, that's the point that I was making because there are many, as you know, more fundamentalists versus evangelicals. We're both evangelicals. We're probably not fundamentalists, um, which itself is an interesting discussion to get into. But um, those that perceive the King James Version as the only version because it is inerrant, infallible, the 1611 uh, translation, you know, that's, that's the, the bone of contention here. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The others heard it the other way when you talked about the Talmud and how things were uh, taken from that and used in our Constitution, which ultimately came from the scriptures themselves. They heard you uh, having that Talmud as something that we uh, ought to be heeding. That's the other people. Is that what you said? Doug? Well, I, I provide a 22-page discussion on the history of the Talmud primarily so that uh, our Jewish friends that read the book will understand that my picking on the rabbis is related to the second century, first century, second century. Uh, and it's not really related to the Jewish community afterwards, because after the second century, uh, we get into the third, um, the Jewish communities are essentially cut off from the, uh, the true Tanakh, they are focused on the Mishnah and the Talmud. Yeah, You're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Right. I just, so, <laughs> we're going to yeah, get. I don't have to go too far there. Other no, than no, because that's just that was not that was not my point. I was trying yeah. to keep being called an anti-Semite. 
Yeah, though that we're getting to kind of that in this chapter because I wanted you to be able to address those two things sure. right off because people sure. did not heed the warning to listen carefully during the first interview. Right. I wanted you to be able to clear that up right off the bat. Sure. Uh, okay, so first place we're going to catch up on here, we're going to start off right in chapter two, uh, which is entitled Rabbi Akiba, the Bar Kokhba Revolt, and the LXX Attack Begins. Uh, this starts off with uh, Matthew, you talk a, a verse in Matthew 24, 20, mm -hmm. uh, 24, 2, but go ahead and I'm take gonna, us I'm into what, in the book. <laughs> yeah, you, you, uh, you talk about uh, the history here and uh, of what has taken place, the Messiah and his coming, which is an apt place to start for this chapter and what you have to say in it, but kind of uh, first, what did you think, or when you came across the information about Akiva, for, was it the first time for this book, or yeah. had you, uh, right. just tell me the history of this right. to begin with. You know, I certainly knew and had heard uh, quite a lot about the, uh, uh, by the way, my screensaver came on. Are you still seeing me okay? Uh, we see you fine. Okay, good. I'll have to keep wiggling my uh, cursor on my screen so that screensaver doesn't come on. Um, I had knew, I knew quite a bit about the Bar Kokhba rebellion, um, 135, sort of 132 to 135 AD. I had heard of Rabbi Akiba, knew he was one of the primary um, founders, if you will, of what I would call the New Judaism, which was the post-Temple Judaism. Um, and I didn't know much else. Uh, almost all of this book, uh, you know, I, I, I probably know, probably knew 25% of what's in the book. But 75%, I've actually learned through research over the past, I'd say, 12 months. Yeah, you know, this period is, of course, as you know, where I did a lot of my research as well. And that this, I, I yeah. love the study around this time frame. Uh, you start with the uh, Harris Temple and it's being destroyed. Now, we're going to get into some interesting points of this. This, to set this place in history, the Bar Kokhba Revolt was actually one of three wars at that time mm -hmm. that had taken place. And tell us a little bit about this Bar Kokhba revolt. Right, right. Yeah, just the, of course, the the Great Revolt, as it's called, was the revolt from about uh, 66 to 70 AD with the destruction of the temple, but really continued on uh, to uh, the final battle at um, the... It was called the Quito's War. Masada. It was the second one. No, that's the second, uh, Masada. Masada yeah. really ended the right. first great revolt. The Quitos War is a war that almost none of us have heard anything about, right. uh, which really occurred around 119 AD. And, and it wasn't really the, centralized in the it, Jerusalem. It, it, very, it did not touch much in, in uh, the land of, of uh, Judah or, or Israel or Palestine. It uh, mostly affected other places in North Africa and some in uh, the islands off of Greece and so forth. Uh, it was an extremely bloody war, and uh, there were literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Gentiles that were killed, including uh, thousands, tens of thousands of Roman militia that were killed uh, in this second war. Uh, and then the third war was the, the Bar Kokhba revolt, and uh, it really occurred for about three, three and a half years. Uh, all these wars took place about three and a half years in length. Uh, it's, and, and they started, all, it's yeah. interesting, is they all started at about the time of Passover and ended at the 9th of Av. 
Yeah, uh, that's right. The, 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 particularly the Barcopa revolt, um, we get a little bit into the possibility that there was already a third temple uh, as a result of what Barcopa was doing in Jerusalem. Yeah, uh, but it, a, I, and I looked at that when you're nose too, and I kind of looked into that, but that was centered more about where his stronghold was and wasn't even in uh, anywhere close to where uh, no, the, no, the temple not, originally that, would. No, that's not accurate. No, they're both places. Both places are uh, are relevant to the story. Uh, his fortress was outside of uh, of Jerusalem, and uh, but no, the the possibility that there was a third temple what was on the Temple Mount. Uh, I show the the figure of the coin that okay. shows the, the columns okay. and so forth. And so there is a possibility that's discussed that there was a small temple that was erected it was the third temple and likewise as you pointed out uh it the whole uh, uprising of the barcoba revolt concluded on the 9th of av so this we had the that occurred in five uh, thir- uh 576 bc uh in uh, 70 a.d and in uh in the here in 135 a.d so remarkable 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 coincidences you might say if you believe in coincidence well i i I do not this is clearly a spiritual battle and the reason it's very important to understand this is because we got to understand the context of what was taking place around the jewish people at the time of the formation of the writings that came to be so correct it's 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 crucial to understand that that's correct from among out from among these what which was became to be known as a leader of the descendants of uh the pharisees and the sadducees which were actually done away with and you talk about here uh, they became what we know today as the rabbis and we're going to talk that's very i love this kind of detail because right, it's, right. It's, it's so key to understanding how things come to be yes but you said here uh and I don't know what page it is on the hard copy there, but this is on 68 here in the uh, PDF. You mm-hmm. said, Rabbi, this is the very last paragraph on that page. It says, Rabbi Akiba ben Yosef would become a leader at the academies near present-day Tel Aviv in a mm-hmm. village known as... Javne or Jamnia. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and Yeah, Javnia in 90 AD to 136. Mm-hmm. Now, it's... <laughs> Here's what I found important about this. The, it, this is right. Why do they oh, these guys always end up near Tyre and Sidon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the going home back, of going back to northern Israel, home yeah. of uh, all matter. Dan, Dan and, and the birthplace of a lot of the right. Babylonian. <laughs> right, right. So bile worship. So tell us about this Rabbi Akiva. Yeah. Well, so there were a series of rabbis. I'll kind of go back to my my book here to. Uh, refer to a few of the names because go right ahead are are stuck in my mind but a particular rabbi uh was in fact um the founder more or less of the um academies and a founder of the movement that uh, akiba eventually became sort of the dominant dominating figure of but uh the original rabbi that um was in effect the founder was actually taken out of the out of the city of Jerusalem uh, as the 
the temple just before the temple was destroyed the zealots were in control of Jerusalem and the zealots would not let anyone leave right so they were uh, not going to let any of the Pharisees leave any of the scribes the Sanhedrin no one was going to be allowed to leave they were all there to fight to the death so that's the typical zealot kind of attitude but the the particular rabbi and I, I'm not finding his name right here so forgive me for that but uh, maybe it'll pop up no. here as I'm thinning through pages uh, but a particular yeah. rabbi yeah. that uh, was the uh, founder was the really the leader at the time of the Pharisees uh, he they they uh, he played dead they put him in a coffin uh, they convinced the zealots to let him to be taken out to be buried so they took him out uh, he left the coffin he went to meet with uh, with Titus and Titus agreed that uh, they could form the academies at Javnia and really the the purpose of the academies was to reinvent uh, Jewish religion because the you temple know, had been destroyed. You know what? I, what, what I found very interesting is that, I mean, we we already know that uh, those who were not accepting of God's covenant, what God had in design, were in charge at the temple already. Mm -hmm. Yeshua called them a, a den of vipers. Right. Well, you said <laughs> den of vipers. Let me run that real quick. Let me run through that real quick. You essentially have. You have several different groups. You have mm -hmm. the uh, the scribes uh, and the scribes and the Sadducees. High degree of overlap. The scribes, of course, were were really considered those that were copyists of the uh, you know of the scripture and so forth. The um, the Sadducees were in effect associated with the temple. They were the temple priests. So the scribes and the Sadducees were associated with the temple worship. They were generally not uh, believers in the resurrection, as you recall. They were not believers in the supernatural. The Pharisees were, but the Sadducees and the scribes were not. The Sanhedrin also existed. It was the body of 70 elders, predominantly uh, Sadducees, that, uh, that governed the, uh, the country. All right, so the Pharisees, for the most part, were a group. The word Pharisee means separate, separatists. And the Essenes were also separatists, but they were more extreme than the Pharisees. But after the temple was destroyed, the Sadducees were very unpopular with the common people anyway. Common people viewed them just as Jesus did. Remember, Jesus was of the common people. Uh, very uncommon human, but he was of the common people. And, uh, and so he uh, saw them for being basically money grubbers. And the people saw them the same way, that they were, uh, they were not pious. They did not really believe in, in the true religion of Judaism. And uh, so the people were anxious to get rid, rid of them. So the Pharisees were really the only survivors of, the, of all the different cults, you might say. And the, the Essenes were a cult. The Pharisees were a cult. The Essenes, of course, were going to be destroyed as part of the Roman War. Um, really a part of the Great Revolt and before the Ketos War. So the, uh, the Essenes would be gone, but the Pharisees were going to go through a name change. So they were going to go through a rebranding. And when they yes. went through the rebranding, they became the rabbis. And so this is well documented by various Jewish scholars that the, the Pharisees and the rabbis are one and the same. Now, so uh, it's important to understand that you had the party that hated Jesus 
and his followers, and they hated what Jesus stood for. And for them, the religion was all about the law, keeping the law, being pure. And uh, for them, it was not just about the written law. It was not just about the Torah, but it was about the oral law as well. And, uh, and so that was really what the Pharisees were focused on. And as I'll just make one other comment, then I'll pause. As we get to the end of the first century, the Pharisees were in firm control of the future of Judaism. Uh, all their other competitors were gone. The only other competitive cult at the time was this cult called Christianity. All right. Yeah. You know, their, their alignment at that time. Yeah. The, and their alignment can clearly be seen. Josephus, this is interesting. Josephus records for us that after, of course, you know, the temple curtain, which separated the Holy of Holies, was rent in two at Yeshua's crucifixion. We know that. But Josephus records for us that that curtain had been replaced. And it was replaced with a purple one. Just as big oh. from that was made in Babylon and it had a picture of the heavens upon it. Wow, that is fabulous. I didn't know that. That's a great piece yeah. of information. I mean, it just tells you the alignment of these mm -hmm. guys. Mm -hmm. I think with a with a perfect one image, you can tell the alignment of these guys mm -hmm. of where they felt their knowledge derived from. Right, right. From Babylon, in, in this so, case. <laughs> right, which, you know, yeah. like we just said, it makes sense to me that when they saw another place uh, to gather, to reform, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where else would they go but someplace they felt at home, right? Right, <laughs> right. Someplace that they felt comfortable. Yeah, uh, there. That's, so, yeah essentially that, yeah, it, it's true. There's, I mean, essentially there were two major locations. I mean, the, the Jews were dispersed, right? The diaspora, they were right. dispersed lots of places but the two major places they were located was in um alexandria and in babylon right. of course they uh, as you well know and many of your listeners know um many of the jews most of the jews a large majority did not come back mm -hmm. from uh the captivity they stayed right. in babylon and uh, so when it came time to leave palestine which really was by the middle of the second century, um, the Jews, most of the Jews went to uh, Babylon. And it was in Babylon where the Mishnah, which was really the focus of the oral law, uh, when the oral law was written, and then from then for the next 400 years or so, uh, certainly closer to 300 years, they would begin to build the Talmud Right. So the Talmud was really, in effect, a commentary on the Mishnah uh, and a commentary on many other things as well, of course. So uh, so that's really the, the but beyond that. You had the Jewish diaspora. And uh, but those are the two cities that were Jews were uh, very, very dominant. Yes. Just I'm just going to summarize what you said, because it said it here. Sure. It says. The destruction of the Second Temple, Jamnia, would become the center for restructuring Judaism. This project what, uh, that came out of that was the Oral Law, or mm -hmm. the Talmud, recorded in two flavors, Palestinian and more influential uh, Babylonian, whereby the Oral Law would overtake the Written Law, or the Torah, as the right. dominating influence, driving the theology, ritual practice, and culture of the Jewish religion. 
this isn't just your opinion. <laughs> this is right. what Jewish scholars say. Right. Quote, Judaism became a distinctive religion quite different from what it was before. Right. It, it, Correct. And Correct. A little bit of a gloss there on the Talmud. There, there are distinctions between to be right. exact, between the Tanakh, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and so forth. Um, just to be careful there. But still, that is essentially, that's the point. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to use your words you used that's in the fine. book here because they're very well worded and specific. The old Judaism emphasis emphasized the temple, the priesthood, and the written law of Moses. Correct. Absolutely. But instead of emphasizing the words of God in the Tanakh, or the mm -hmm. full Bible of the law right. and the prophets and the writings, right. Right. the emphasis shifted to the Mishnah or oral law, mm -hmm. supposedly mm -hmm. given to Moses on Mount Sinai at the same time as the written law. Right. And this is where the essence of their authority they feel is derived. Correct. Now, we know from reading in the scriptures that a knowledge of God's law it obviously existed of his righteous law because he hasn't right. changed who he is and what he is. It was just revealed in there. Right. Didn't change. There was knowledge of that by the Old Testament prophets who were before the law. We know that by the things that they did. They had an understanding of God's law before it was written down. But mm -hmm. this is the excuse that these guys used to gain their authority. Correct. My, Correct. That, yeah, it was a it was a question of how do they put themselves in a position where they call the shots? And so they it wasn't enough that all of their other competitors like the Sadducees were gone. It had to be something that that the people could honor. And so it, it was felt that the oral law, uh, which was an esoteric uh, myth to some extent, uh, of course, Jesus reacted sternly to the, not to the notion of the oral law saying it was the tradition of men it was not the law of god so but yes that was it was the basis for them to build in the authority and to put the rabbi at really the center of the jewish community right and that circles us back to where we're to to rabbi akiba he became yes. the leader i i i right. wanted to highlight that because you so well put that in the book and it's mm. something that i knew have known for a long time but when you highlight it there and you mm -hmm. speak about it clearly, I mean, some of these things seem like they're such small things and they're so quickly said, you could say that in one sentence, but we don't understand exactly how right. much, how much power and how large this no, beast that's, that's grew really, into. That's right. That's with right. such a simple thing. We, we have so simple or in, innocuous, seemingly yeah, we have, innocuous. We really have so little knowledge of the history of Judaism. Uh, after after Jesus, right? Right. Yeah. So that leads to Rabbi Akiva. So mm -hmm. tell us about Rabbi Akiva, not just in relation right. to the war, but what he ended up doing. I'll just let right. you take yeah. it from there. Yeah, well, it, we'll we'll talk in a moment about the fact that Akiva supports Bar Kokhba in the war, mm -hmm. right? leads to his undoing. However, Akiva's goal and the goal of the, the Jamnia Academy was to was to take the Jewish community to keep the Jewish community from continuing to follow the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. The Greek Old Testament throughout the world was the Bible of the Jews. But 
because of the emergence of Christianity and the fact that the Christians were writing their gospels and their letters and their uh, scriptures in Greek, what happened is that the Christian writers were all quoting from the Septuagint, from the Greek Old Testament. Pretty soon, it was viewed, certainly by the rabbis in the beginning of the second century, that the Septuagint had become the Christian Bible. And so they decided that one of the key things they had to do, and it's believed that Akiba really was the primary driver of this, was that they had to uh, alter the scripture to make it less obvious that Jesus was the Messiah. They obviously did not like Jesus, and they wanted the religion to be based upon the law. They wanted themselves to be at the center of that law, so it couldn't just be just the Torah. It also had to be the oral law as well. Yeah, and these guys were not stupid. I mean, think about the undertaking. I mean, these guys, It was he was certainly the leader, but he had other disciples underneath him, and these guys had all given their lives to understanding the mysteries mm-hmm. and understanding the scriptures. I mean, this right. is what they spent their whole lives doing. So their undertaking wasn't done in ignorance, and probably with a lot more understanding than perhaps most of us would have when it came to exactly what they were setting out to do spiritually speaking no you know full knowledge of what what they were going to accomplish and uh, no small task right right so they were they in effect were reinventing a judaism without the temple uh they were distancing themselves from christianity uh really by the time you get to the third century and you get to babylon there's really no there's almost no overlap between Christianity and Judaism. Uh, Judaism then becomes the Mishnah, it becomes the Talmud, and it stays that way for the most part uh, throughout the next 1,000 years. There's obviously still interaction at times, but for the most part, you see more interaction uh, and more, much more compatibility between the, the Jews and the Muslims than with the Christians, right? Yeah, and, and you point out, and I well, I don't know that you necessarily pointed out, but you do highlight these two aspects in the book. And this, along with uh, the Bar Kokhba revolt, which was the mm-hmm. other side of this going on, mm-hmm. both had a singular goal they to eradicate a Messiah and mm-hmm. to put forth a different one. Correct. That's correct. Yes, and it was, uh, and this gets into sort of the, you know, the, 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 the details of the changes made in the verses is that the, the Pharisees, really the Jewish, you could call them the Jewish elite, the Jewish intelligentsia, they did not believe their Messiah would be deity. They believed the Messiah would be a powerful political warrior. He would be the son of David and he would be a descendant, but he would not be the second person of a trinity. He would not be equal with Yahweh. Uh, and so they made clear in the changes they made in what we call the Masoretic text, and we need to kind of go back and pick up on that a little bit, but they made changes to make it clear that that was not the way they understood the Messiah. And, of course, that conflicted very much with the teaching of Christianity and the teaching of Jesus. Well, that, that, 
they they didn't want him to be uh, you know they, they didn't they just simply had rejected him and didn't want him to be it wasn't the he, the guy that they, they wanted i i, I thought it was no, they didn't want to repent either right yeah no no but absolutely i mean it was the, the giving know? up their their power their authority uh, you know pride all those things but it was very right. interesting barcopa uh meaning son of the star those right. who have read my book the the Arc de Triomphe in Paris is actually called the Arch mm -hmm. of the Star. Mm. Uh, it's very interesting mm -hmm. how that all. Anyway, that's just yeah, a side the, note for the, those who read the, our, uh, the connections. There are, of course, fascinating, but yeah, they're yeah, they're so deep from Judah and, and uh, so forth. So there's yeah. so many different rabbit trails and deep things you could. <laughs> oh yeah, so, I'm going to try to stay on point. So that's all right. So go ahead. So he okay. So well, Bar Mark but just to kind of bring that story uh, into it. So Bar Kokhba um, became a warrior that was, he was a fierce warrior. Uh, the Romans um, were attacked. They had been obviously victimized greatly in the Quitos War. So this was only about a dozen years later when the Bar Kokhba revolt occurred. Uh, and it became a massive affair. There were probably a half million troops in Bar Kokhba's army. Um, the Romans moved perhaps as many as 200,000 of their troops, which was, I think it was like 60% of their army worldwide. They moved it to Palestine to fight the Bar Kokhba wars, the Jewish wars. Most of us don't realize that, that the Jews became, in many ways, the greatest enemy of the Romans because of the size of their army and the number of deaths that they inflicted upon Rome. And so Rome had to basically throw everything at them. Certainly uh, from the time of Hannibal, uh, Hannibal was probably the, the most successful warrior against, against Rome. But from that time, which of course was almost like 300 BC, uh, up to the time of Bar Kokhba 400 years later, the Jews became the number one enemy of, uh, of the Romans. Well, eventually, of course, Romans, the Romans uh, conquered uh, Bar Kokhba. Um, he was put to death. Uh, uh, Rabbi uh, Akiva was actually arrested, was taken to Rome, and was tried and was tortured to death in a rather grisly uh, manner. And he was tortured to death because he supported Bar Kokhba as the, as the Messiah. All right. And so with that, of course, then becomes the the plowing up Jerusalem, salting the land, uh, renaming the land um, Palestine, renaming Jerusalem uh, capital uh, Palestina Capitolina uh, after um, the uh, after the uh, the Caesar as well. The, so the men's the man's name you were trying to think of earlier that really raised mm -hmm. Akiva to us was Ben Koziba. Yeah, that's right, Ben Koziba. Uh, yes, he was the, the, you might say, the founding Pharisee. Right. Like so that was the name you were looking for earlier. Thank you. Thank you. I'll so, get these memorized. After you're I'm welcome. So, so here, here's what it says. <laughs> here's what it says of uh, this uh, Akiva character. We should note that the comment of Mammonides, who is also known as, uh, to anybody who does research. Maimonides. You, Maimonides. Yeah, Maimonides. I, I, I call I call him I call him Maminades because yeah. <laughs> it sounds like laminade. 
but it's also known anyway. as Ramban. Yeah, Ramban. Anybody yeah. who does any kind of Jewish research, if you don't run across the name Ramban, yeah, uh, you've not looked in the right places. Yeah, he's because, the greatest scholar in the middle evil, medieval period for about. Um, he, he he is probably the most quoted, I think, of yes. of all of them. Um, so anyway, Maimonides says this: the most famous Torah scholar in the Middle Ages, Rabbi Akiva, was a great sage, one of the authors of the Mishnah. Yet he was the right hand man of Ben Koziba, mm -hmm. the ruler whom he thought to be King Messiah. He and all the sages of his generation imagined Karkbokba to be the King Messiah until he yeah. was slain, unfortunately. Right, right. <laughs> he was slain, it dawned on them that he was not the Messiah. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but Mimine says that calls him the greatest. Uh, uh, one of the other quotes that says, uh, one of the other quotes, Friedman asserts, Akiva is the best known and most highly regarded of all the rabbis, legends and stories about him abound. Um, some of the other, so yeah, those Friedman are just wrote, quotes uh, Friedman, Friedman wrote, uh, you know, a couple, there's a couple of popular books about Judaism and, and Friedman wrote one of the, one of the best. Yeah. So it's just, so that's who this guy was. He was the go-to guy during this time of great conflict socially. Uh, mm -hmm. We already know about the conflict socially that happened at the time of Yeshua, but it, right. it didn't end there. Right. And so this Talmudic Judaism uh, based on Mishnah, where the mm -hmm. Tanakh and the Torah took second place to the Mishnah. Right. That's the environment of this. And they were seeking to reform and maintain their control, whatever minimal control it may be, may have over those mm -hmm. who considered themselves faithful Jewish followers encounter right. encounter and trying to in not only uh, to do reform and to, and to keep this but encounter to the true faith that Yeshua had of course right. revealed uh, and so he had a purpose when he said to do the translations pick up from there okay yeah and so the what had occurred as I mentioned before is that the old Greek Septuagint uh, known as the OG, Old Greek Septuagint, that was translated from as close to the original Hebrew, authentic Hebrew Bible, as we can get within 200 years of uh, the time of Ezra. Um, that was written uh, starting about 285 B.C., completed, most of the Hebrew uh, was completed by 200 B.C. Some of the Greek books of the Apocrypha were written and completed within another 50 or 70 years. But anyway... So the Old Greek was identified as the Christian Bible. And so it was Akiba's determination that what was needed was to take the Hebrew, which we call, there's a, the original Hebrew is known as a vorlog, V-O-R-L-A-G-E, which means like an original writing from which copies are made. All right. And so the vorlog used for the Septuagint was, for all intents and purposes, the original Bible. It was brought from Jerusalem within 200 years of, of its compilation. Uh, around 450 B.C., it was brought to Alexandria, and it was translated there. All right, now, shift to about 300 and almost 400, almost 400 years into the future. You have Akiba, you have the academies, the academies at Jamnia, and they decide they're going to take the Vorlog, and they are going, which may or may not have been 
the same as what was the original Hebrew Vorlag, which, as you know, may have been carted off to Rome, right? <laughs> may have been in one of the boxes. I have no Rome. doubt that it was. Yeah, yeah. And no so, doubt. Anyway, so you've got that possibility. But they went in and they changed several areas. They changed the Messianic prophecy in roughly, I would say, probably three dozen verses. There are many other changes, uh, differences in wording. I referenced some of those. The ones we care most about, though, are the, are the verses that were dealing with the nature of who the Messiah is, uh, who would come to love the Messiah, i.e. the Gentiles, and how the Gentiles would be saved, the nature of the salvation, which was not the law. So it was that was the focus of the changes that were made in what we could call the proto-Masoretic text that would become the Masoretic text that would feed the King James version of the Bible and most of the other Protestant versions of the Bible. All right. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, I hope people heard you, you had a lot to say, and this is where people do not want to listen carefully. Yeah. Yeah. There are essentially two uh, versions that stand. Two Vorlogs. Two Vorlogs. How about that? Two Vorlogs. Yeah. That which was used. Uh, uh oh, I'm about to lose my battery. I got to plug in real quick. Those, uh, that was. I decided I have to lean forward. For those of you that do not know, I'm recovering from back surgery, and that's why you're seeing me um, bed, bedridden at the moment. Uh, it's because I'm recovering from a very serious surgery. It was planned, but uh, it's not like cutting your finger when you have back surgery. Because no. they put spacers in your vertebrae and drill holes and rods and screws. and So anyway, so I'm, uh, I'm recovering from that. And Vorlag, for those who are watching, is V-O-R-L-A-G. G-E. Uh, D yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's how you spell Vorlag for those of you who want to look that up. So there's two different sets. The one that was used, the Bible of the that had been the Bible forever. In mm -hmm. this Vorlag that was used, actually three different types. You go into that in the book. I won't make you explain right. that because we're running right. out of time again. Right. Three different versions that were used and combined to become what is known as the Masoretic text, mm -hmm. which was used as the principal source for the King James Bible. Mm -hmm. I, I just want, this is, when you stop and think about this for just a minute, think of the magnitude of what is being said. When you consider what you've pointed out in your book, which is why people need to get this book, mm -hmm. it hides purposefully the Messiah mm -hmm. and why he came for salvation. And then he would come in the flesh. And the genealogies, not just in their minds, simply to hide uh, who he Two was. Two particulars, the one in Genesis 5 and the one in Genesis yeah. 11. So it hides the genealogies or messes with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the implications were for his own purposes, of course, to hide the Messiah immediately. But the implications that it has on for all following generations, for us, these past 2,000 years, mm -hmm. become just that much more magnified as we seek to go back and understand history correct uh if you're using that as your principal source as the source for that information then uh, you can understand the confusion that can abound or trying to put square uh oh. objects into round you know round holes it's just right, right. it's it's 
and, and you talk about some of these arguments in your right. book uh, it, when it comes to true real science, not scientism, but real science and trying and it does end up making Christians foolish because you're using false information. Yeah, one of the you know, there's two or three major points that I want people to understand. One Thank is you. that is that the scripture is infallible. It is inerrant. It is given by God. Right. And it is there and it and it pervades pervades the King James Version. King James Version certainly is the world is the Western world's most important book. Millions, millions, millions have been saved through it. Amen. All right. Amen. So, so we're, we're not saying you know, boo on the King James Version. We're pointing out just, though, that those that wish to say how God has preserved his text is because he caused 47 scholars in 1611 to create a pristine, inerrant English version of the Bible. That's how God preserved his text. That is foolish because that it's Bible false. was revised many times. And it was also based upon, the New Testament was based upon the Textus Receptus of Erasmus from 1511, who had six manuscripts. Today in the New Testament, we have 6,000 manuscripts. All right. So we have, in other words, if we only go with the 1611 uh, King James, authorized King James Version, which, by the way, was, as I said, revised. The one that we actually look at today is the, I believe it's the 1789 revision by a guy named Blaney. That's the version of the King James that we use today or we look at today. But if we only look at that, we are making ourselves fools because we have before us a wealth of riches as the New Testament scholar Daniel Wallace says. In fact, he calls it an embarrassment of riches in terms of all the manuscripts that we have through which through proper textual criticism, we can get back to what was the authentic message of God to have in a sort of 99.999% percentage that we can trust that what we have today is what was written by the original authors. And, right, so, and just to reiterate a point that we made last week again, because mm -hmm. we've arrived at that point is mm -hmm. this brings us up to the, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were the DS, right. S. Right which verified and confirmed for us that the scripture, the Septuagint that they had mm -hmm. was uncorrupted. It was it, virtually it uncorrupted. More, yeah, virtually uncorrupted. It is the more authentic lineage of manuscript text. It's Vorlog is more trusted. And this is not just Christian evangelical scholars saying this. Yes. These are Jewish scholars saying this such yes. as Emmanuel Tov, is one of the most noteworthy of all Jewish scholars. But let me get back to the point I was going to make. So preservation of the text, as you'll see, one of the, and I'll kind of jump to a conclusion here that you need to know. The Septuagint, what it provides for us is it is a remarkably powerful means to get back to what the original Hebrew said, even though it's a Greek translation, right? And so it is vital to the issue of textual criticism all right now the other key point which is where a lot of the book focuses is not just the conspiracy of the rabbis in the second century but it's their changing of the chronologies the geno chronologies or chrono genealogies of genesis 5 and 11 
because it's with those changes that we also look like fools when we try to establish the uh, primeval dates or history of the Old Testament, to be specific. I'm not saying that, the, you know, I'm not talking about the fact that there is or isn't an old earth. I'm saying that the King James Version dates the creation, let's just say of Adam and Eve right now, at 4004 BC. The Septuagint dates it at roughly 5600 BC. And one of the things that the book points out is if you look at all of the old testimonies or the testimonies for the dating of what the scripture should be, that it is the older date, the 5600 BC. I arrive at 5616 uh, BC is the date that I calculate. The church fathers like Arrhenius, Tertullian, uh, and so forth, Clement, they arrive at the same date of around 5600 BC. Josephus arrives at 5600 BC. Uh, there is another book called The Histories of Biblical Antiquities, which was a Latin book. I'll probably impress you with my Latin. It was called the Liber Antiquitatum uh, Biblicarum. There you go. The Lab, L-A-B, which is what we'll call it. It is virtually identical to the Septuagint's dating. And it was written at the same time or slightly before the time that Jesus taught on the earth. It isn't until you get into the first century that you begin to see these alternative dates. And it's because of the rabbis' changes in the uh, Torah in Genesis that we begin to see the, the shortening of these dates. We may not have time to talk about it tonight. We talked a bit about it before, but the reason they fussed with the dates is because they felt that the, the dates and the chronology had a lot to do with who could or couldn't be the Messiah. And they shortened the dates, trying to say that it was not yet time for the Messiah to come. But according to the Septuagint's dates, and according to their tradition at that time, it was time for the Messiah to come. He was to come between the 5,000th and the 6,000th year. And just to make that clear, we live today around in the, if the, if the Jewish calendar were properly built based upon the Septuagint and, and throwing away the cedar uh, Olam Rabbah, which was written also by one of Akiba's uh, disciples around 160 AD, if we got rid of that, the current Jewish calendar date would not be 5778, it would be approximately 7,500 uh, A.D. or 7,500 since the time of uh, the, the creation of the world, right? Now, the right. issue of new world, young earth creation, all that's a separate issue. My book is neutral on that. But we'll talk about that sometime. We can talk about that, but it's my book is, is attempts to be neutral on the issue of gap theory versus young earth creation. The main point I'm making is that the biblical, the proper biblical chronology is, in fact, 1,600 years more should be added into that dating than what the King James Version and Bishop Utters, uh, Utters, uh, Ushers, <laughs> dating. <laughs> Some Ushers people are going to have a cow on that. Awful, utterly awful. Uh, they're going to have a cow. So, <laughs> <laughs> the yes, indeed. We, we've actually only got about eight minutes left in the time okay. I promised you. 
that okay. we have. So we'll, and I know we keep some of this stuff is rehashed, but I think what it tells us, uh, Doug, is how important and how detailed and how much information is really packed into understanding the history of the scriptures, where they come from, what is going on during that time. Well, it's well, so important, I think, for all of us to get a good handle on exactly what has taken place there. Yeah. Um, your documentation is superb in here, uh, so I encourage people to check it out. But basically, I mean, and it doesn't surprise. We've, we, uh, more modern history or history, I think more of us in the Western world are more apt to know about is you see the, and it's a repeat of what we see happening in the Catholic Church. Uh, and I'll just read from your, your book here. This mm -hmm. is on page, I think, 111 of the PDF here. But it says, mm -hmm. so when did this oral law historically commence? Different sages offer various answers to that question. Some say during the time of ha the Hasmoneans. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to read that word. Asmonians, thank you. Yeah. Other asserted it went all the way back to Abraham before the written Torah was even given to Moses. According oh. to Gur R. Naaman, then Isaac, yeah. writing several centuries after Jesus Christ, maintained that only the Pharisees could or would transmit the, transmit the oral law. Right. No one else could. It was not in the possession of all Israel. <laughs> With the destruction of the Pharisees, the world would be desolate as it was before God gave it form. It would be without the oral Torah. I mean, you see these guys keep, you know, again, they're the keepers of it. It's secret knowledge only. They have the ability to interpret it's, it. It's I mean, who does this sound like to us? Yeah, it's I a mean, Jewish yeah. Gnosticism. Yeah, you know, well, it's like, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's exactly what we see form, formed in what would become the Catholic Church, is it not? Right. Well, that's with right. the setting up of the you have, you have someone I mean, in the middle, a mediator, someone that has to be in the middle. These yeah. things never change. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean, right. Ecclesiastes was right. Nothing new under the sun, right? Yeah, but <laughs> one one thing that I want to point out uh, too in here that maybe I don't know that it's mentioned in your book anywhere is that in order for these guys to maintain uh, their lie, they mm -hmm. have to keep for themselves what is the actual standard or the truth, which is why I don't these think these things have been destroyed. I think they've been scurried away, hidden in rabbit holes for they themselves to refer to because they have to have a standard they themselves so that they don't get confused by their own lies, you know, down the road in their, in their teachings. You know, it's like um, it, it, for math, for math, uh, you know, we use uh, here in the Western world, we use the, you know, the decimal, the Dewey decimal, 12, measuring by 12s, you know, 12, right. 24, or three feet for our yard, you know, right. and we use right. that system. Um, whereas, you know, they try to confuse that and use the decimal system, which is a measure of tens. Yeah, the metric versus the English system. Versus the English system, which right. came from Queen Elizabeth and... Which really came uh, from the Romans before that. Right, right. Wait, yeah. So all of that, <laughs> right? you can count using either version, but one version will hide the n important numbers of the other. Yeah, that's true. Right? They, you can measure with each. Each is accurate, but they hide the numbers from the previous mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when it comes to words, this is what is being done here. They have to have knowledge of the standards so that they can use the proper words to hide them within it. 
Yeah. If that made sense to anybody, bless you. Uh, well, you know, the, the simple way to say it, the simple way to say it is that they, uh, they knew what they were doing. They were obscuring the truth. Amen. And, and, and they, but the, the important thing is that the, the standard is still there somewhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe, I believe that's thing. just my opinion. Let me clarify one thing though, that's kind of related to this, which is an important point to make. Sure. One other thing that Akiba did is when they created this, uh, we'll say the second Vorlog uh, from that Vorlog additional new Greek creation, Greek translations would be created in an attempt to, get the Jewish community to stop using the old Greek, the OG, the original Alexandrian Septuagint. All right. So that was part of their plan. This was Aquila, Symmachus, and Theodosians. They wrote three uh, Greek translations of this new Vorlog at the end of, towards the end of the second century. The other thing that Akiba did besides sponsoring those, Akiba also made sure that all other documents all other manuscripts, all other possible ways to get back to the original was destroyed. So what he didn't count on was the fact that the Essenes hid what we know as the Dead Sea, Scro Dead sea Scrolls in Qumran. So in effect, the Essenes were undoing, whether they knew it or not, they were undoing what Akiba was doing by hiding, in effect, the, uh, you know, the originals, you might say, or many of the originals, not all, but many segments and sections of different portions of different books, mostly of the traditional Hebrew books, some of the, what we'd call the, um, um, gosh, Apocrypha, and some of what we'd call Pseudepigrapha, uh, like Enoch and things like that. That, uh, that's a that you can sum that up. We always see the kingdom of this world doing that too. We we commonly know it today in the Western world as book burning. Right. It was it was like burning the books. But uh, you always see the kingdom of this world doing that mm -hmm. with information. Right. <laughs> you know, they always burn it <laughs> when when they feel like <clears throat> there's too much information there, or if they need to hide, uh, abscond with some information. Uh, they'll take it and then burn what's left. I mean, you just well, it's it's just today like uh, it's like alternate media and main mainstream media, right? The mainstream media, all the mainstream media, they all say the same thing. They have the same talking points from Politico and other sources. I yeah, mean, line them up, hundred stations, and they all say the exact same things. It's That's essentially the same thing. Media. Yeah, it's like burning yeah. books. It, yeah. it is the same thing. It's the dumbing down of, of people. Well, right. I mean. Uh, we'll, so that is essentially what you talked about in chapter two. Yeah, uh, we, we we'll try to do a parts three and four with you, Doug. Before yeah, I go, yeah, you we'll what, take it. Uh, we'll take it a chapter at a time if you want, and we'll get through the whole book. Well, well I, I'm, we won't do the whole book, but I want uh, I wanted to provide people enough of mm -hmm. of it to understand what this book does because for mm -hmm. me it's it's a it's a must have. Now you. Um, you wanted to share with us something is coming out in a couple oh, days. Yeah. Well, you can buy the the printed uh, paperback book now uh, at Amazon. Thank you. That's that's the cover. It looks like that. The Kindle version of that book will be available probably before the weekend, certainly by the weekend. And so if you are inclined towards a Kindle version, I should have a Kindle version available for you uh, before the weekend. 
So I want you to be aware of that. So um, I, I really believe, you know, uh, again, I'm totally prejudiced because I wrote this, but I believe, and I think you would agree, uh, this will be one of the most important books you read this year. Well, I, I told you this before, I think we went live last week. For me, Doug, I think this is the, uh, this is to date your Magnus opus of the books you read. I feel like this is the most, has I feel that, I feel bears that. the most weight, has the most uh, bearing as far as breadth. Right. I, I don't, I don't want to say best because it's hard to say best. It's subjective. It, it could set off a revolution. It, uh, it certainly could get me killed. Uh, so you guys, but, I, but I think it has the most breadth and I'm not, uh, I, I'm not unaccustomed to writing things that could get you killed. Um, <laughs> so I yeah. could do that, so but I don't tell my wife that, but you know, well, we, we don't tell wives that because they worry <laughs> enough as they it worry. is. But, That's right. Uh, so, but it's very important. Um, we're going to have Doug on again for part uh, three and four. So a couple of things, be in prayer for Doug for a speedy recovery from his back sure. surgery that he gets back to his normal working self and able to uh, uh, get around and, and do those things he needs to do. Uh, I want to lift up uh, Chris and Liz Bailey in prayer, uh, just very dear in my heart. Just those, keep those guys in your prayers. And the third thing is I I think tomorrow I am scheduled to be on with Dr. Lake and Dr. Michael Spaulding, who you were on with early tonight, right. uh, tomorrow to do their Kingdom War Room update. I think we're going to be talking my, about my book then. So good, if you guys good. haven't subscribed to them, be tuned in tomorrow night. I'll be talking with them. We will see you maybe next week, Doug, yeah, uh, if, if you're able to in health and be. have the energy. Be a little bit better next week. Yeah, we'll pick it up. I, I thank everybody for joining us here tonight. Uh, on Disputed Lands. It's been a great time as usual, Doug. Get some rest until we well, see you guys the next time. Thank you for the opportunity. Yep. Night, everybody. Good night.